Hello, Tile friends. Welcome back to another episode of Tile Money, the podcast where we discuss the business of being a tile contractor. My name is Luke Miller, your host. I'm a licensed tile contractor in the state of California. Today, I have uh, Fred Houston with me. Fred Houston has a, lo- a long history in the tile industry. He's a, he's a stone forensics. Uh, he's going to tell us about his stone forensic business. Uh, he also grew up in the trade, so that's going to be a lot of interesting uh, conversation we're, we're looking forward to. Uh, tile Money is sponsored by Ladycrete International, as well as the National Tile Contractors Association. So thank you to my sponsors for making this podca- podcast uh, available and possible. Really appreciate you. Fred, how are you today? I'm doing great, Luke. Good, good. Thanks for being a guest on my show. And and by the way, thank you for interviewing me. Uh, audience, if you don't know, Fred has his own podcast called The Stone and Tile Show. Is that correct? That is correct. And um, you can find that everywhere po- where podcasts are available, as well as he does a, a very cool thing where he does a live a live interview and you can call in and have a question or have some input. And when I was interviewed, uh, we had a fun, a fun person call in, Ben Santos. <laughs> yeah, he, he had some good info there. So that was fun. It's always fun. So Fred, uh, to start with, tell us about your background in the tile industry. How did you get introduced to this industry? Well, it's kind of interesting. My dad was a, was a tile setter and actually a handyman as well. So I remember growing up as a kid, you know, here, son, go, go mix this bucket of, of grout, go mix this bucket of mud. Of course, back in those days, we're talking 40 some years ago. I mean, mud was the, the only thing out there right. uh, at, at the time. So doing that for a number of years into my teenage years, I decided that I never wanted to see another piece of tile or stone again in my life. Yeah. So I went to college. Yeah. And my, my dream at the time was to become a marine biologist. Okay. And uh, I ended up graduating, uh, not with a marine biology degree, but a biology degree, no, nevertheless. Okay. And my uh, dad had gotten sick. He had gotten cancer. Uh, my mom, mom was a housewife, and she started a cleaning business. Okay. And, and what I say a cleaning business, it was basically her cleaning houses. It wasn't yeah. this huge, you know, conglomerate type, type business. And um, my brother and I, who's my brother's a musician, uh, we decided, you know, we need to get mom something steady. So we got her some doctor's offices to clean. Okay. Well, lo and behold, I um, had graduated at that by that time. I uh, was in the lab at the University of Florida. And uh, my mom called and she said, son, I've got this marble floor. <laughs> And it's got these stains on it, and I don't know how to get them out. And I said, Mom, I'm a scientist. You know, I'm not in the business anymore. I, I don't remember. You know, I don't even remember if we ever did that. So um, it kind of sparked my curiosity. So what do you do as a scientist? You go to the library and you research it, right? Yeah. Well, I went to the library and found nothing on stone, nothing on tile. I mean, from setting it to installing it to uh, cleaning it, nothing, nothing at all. I mean, there was a couple of journals in Italy and, and Germany, but nothing in the U.S., so it sparked my interest. So at the time, I'm living in in Orlando, and for you guys listening in Orlando, you're going to love this story. At the time, there were two fabricators in the entire city. Now wow. there's probably 100 plus. Yeah. But anyway, so I went to the local fabricator, and I said, you got some you know, scrap marble and granite. And he said, yeah. So I took my entire garage and I laid a, what we call a Palladiana terrazzo pattern, broken pieces of, of tile all my garage and uh, ended up buying a floor machine and started practicing 
Really? I already knew how to set the material. So I said, well, let me practice, you know, refinishing this material. One thing led to another. I left the university. I know this is a long story. I left the university, went to work for uh, Disney World uh, in their research, research department and was totally bored with what I was doing. So I started a stone restoration business on a part-time basis. Just, you know, minor stuff here and there. One thing led to another. I started experimenting with different techniques. And, and one of the things that I think sets me apart than, than most contractors at the time is I was always curious as to why. Yeah. And at, at the time, learning to do that type of work was like trying to extract the formula from Coca-Cola out of Coca-Cola. No one wanted to tell you their secrets. Thank God that's thank God that's changed. What what uh, years was that? What oh years? God, we're talking back in the uh, probably early eighties. Okay, so okay. it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. And um, so anyway, I always wanted to know the why. Okay, this you know you go to someone that knew how to polish marble, for example, and they would say, "Well, this is how you do it." And I go, "Well, what's happening there? What's the chemical reaction that occurs when powder goes on there?" No one knew. It was really? always, well, you know, I was taught this way, you know, and so it, it kind of piqued my curiosity. And I ended up in the business, ended up in the full-time business, ended up getting uh, Disney as one of my big major accounts at the time. Oh, wow. and, I was, and I was at a trade show and there was a lady there that you probably don't know who she is, but her name was Dorothy Kinder. And she was the editor of a magazine called Building Stone Magazine. Okay. And, uh, I was talking to a bunch of people, you know, just a bunch of contractors like us, you know, just hanging around talking. And we were talking about this process called recrystallization or crystallization, a polishing technique for marble, for those of you not familiar with that. And uh, she came up to me and she said, Fred, would, would you mind doing an article on what you were talking about? And I said, sure, that's not a problem. So I did an article and that kind of launched my consulting career. Right. Uh, the article got published. People started calling me, asking me for advice. I was still contracting at the time. So I was juggling that business as well as trying to juggle you know, all the calls I was getting from various contractors throughout the world. How large was your, so your, your main business was, was tile and, and stonework, correct? Installation? That's, that's correct. Well, I, I, I started out in install. Well, actually at that time I started out in restoration. Okay. That, that developed into installation cause I already knew how to do that from my dad. Okay. So we were doing small projects. We'd go in and restore something and someone said, you know, we want to add some tile to this room. Can you do that? Of course okay. we can do that. Okay. And then I ended up with the fabrication shop. Okay. <laughs> Year, years later, I ended you up had in the several factory. things going. How large was your company? I mean, uh, the restoration company was probably the largest. I had upwards of, uh, at times, a dozen guys working. Yeah. You know, all, all over all over town, and we actually ended up uh, developing a niche for uh, historic stone restoration. So we ended up going outside of the state of Florida, all over the place. We were in California. We were in. Uh, uh, LA, we're up in Oakland, up in okay. the Midwest and Columbus. So, you know, we ended up doing a lot of historic work there too. Very but anyway, to make a long story, a very long story short. Well, I, uh, I love the story. I love the story, Fred. I really do. Make, well, thank you. Uh, to make a long story short, I started, people were started asking me, can you come look at this project and we'll pay you? And I go, you want to pay me? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not used to that. Yeah. So I, I learned a valuable lesson and that is it took me many years to learn what I learned, especially today being in sure. it as long as I have yeah. is to, you know, make sure you get paid for what you know. 
You yeah. know, people people all the time say, well, you you just sit on your butt or you go look at something you get paid for. I said, but you don't see those 20, 30 years beforehand of all that work I put in, put, put yeah. into it, you know, the late yeah. nights, the 40 hour days, you yeah. know, et, et cetera. So, well, um, and, and the curiosity too, I really want to highlight this, this very important part that you mentioned was you were curious to know why things worked or yes. why it didn't work. Yes. You know, and, and that resulted in, and your, your researching and, and your, you know, your thirst or hunger for knowledge. So, so exactly. really, important aspect there, tile friends, be curious. Uh, you know, we have all these systems today. Um, you know, the old systems, mud bed, water in, water out, topical waterproofing, and you know, different things, different ways to install tile. Be curious to know why it works and if it would work for you, if you can combine something or not, you know, and and it goes much further than that. But I just want to highlight that curiosity. So many times we just, like you said, we do it because that's the way we were taught. Right. It reminds me of a story of um, the Christmas ham. You know, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell this real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Christmas ham. The the lady would always, you know, it was a uh, a uh, recipe passed down for like three, four generations, and the lady would always cut it, cut the ends off, and put it in the oven. And this went on for generations. And and one day the daughter said, "Mom, why are we cutting the ends of this ham off?" and giving it to the dog and putting it in the oven. And she said, well, it's because that's the way my mom did it. And so the daughter went to her grandmother and said, why are we cutting the ends of the ham off? You know, and the grandmother said, well, you see, we started that because my mother's stove was so small, we couldn't fit the whole ham in. So it's like, you know, there's no yes. point to doing it. But, you know, at the time there was. So anyways, go back to now your story. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I mean, you bring up a good point as well. Uh, but anyway, that curiosity led me to, uh, uh, you know, more, more and more consulting work. And I, it got to the point where my consulting work was, was getting, I was getting more and more work than I was actually getting contracting work. And I said, well, you know, I've got to start thinking of my future. And, and for you guys that are out there doing this, I mean, you need to, in your business, think about, you know, you might be young, you might be some 20-year-old whippersnapper. You're out there, you're a go-getter. That's all fine and dandy. We were all there at yeah. one time. and But you need to be thinking about the future. You need to be thinking about what am I going to do next? What am I going to do when my knees give out, which we all know what that's like in this business. Yeah. Um so and that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do next? And the consulting opportunity came along at, at the right time. Um, my knees were starting to bother me. I had trouble getting up, you know, from the knee pads. And, uh, uh, I, and I ended up in a long, again, a long story short, I ended up making more money in a consulting business. Okay. The consulting business led into train and led into training. And I started an organization, which is now defunct, called the National Training Center for Stone and Masonry Trades, where we actually were the first so-called, I don't know if you want to call it a legitimate trade school, but basically a seminar-based school where we taught installers, fabricators, restoration contractors. And then the economy took a, took a plunge back in, what was that, 10 years ago, something like that. And uh, I had to close that particular uh, business down, but I still ended up doing private training. I'd go into fab shops, show them how to improve their their facility, train restoration guys. And today, to put an end to the story, I I do a seminar uh, once once a year, as well as some private seminars if they're they're asked for. Uh, and then the rest of my business is purely uh, stone inspections, stone and tile inspections. 
Okay. Uh, where I get to see you, you know, people don't call me and say, Fred, look at this great installation. I get to see all the bad stuff. Sure. Sure. So, and one of my main complaints there is that, you know, what you had just said is, uh, you know, some of these installers, not everybody, there's some great installers out there. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, they're not asking, what am I doing wrong? You know, they, right. they finished a project, they get their check. They don't see it until there's a problem. Or, or maybe they don't see it at, at, see all. It at all. And then I get called in and all of a sudden they're getting slapped with a lawsuit or a complaint. And uh, so, yeah, not a good I'm, situation. I'm sometimes a bad guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I, when I go on a, on a project, but not all the time. A, yeah. a lot of time, you know, in some cases it's not their fault. You know, sure. So. Well, that's, so that's how, so that's how I ended up here. And then of course I started the radio show about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, primarily, uh, you know, which, which is our shows, I think, complement one another very well because yours talks the business side. Mine is more the technical how to sure. side. So it's a yeah. good compliment. Well, I've picked up some some business notes on your show as well. So I think um, I think it's important that, you know, we kind of uh, interview each other like we're doing and, yes. also, you know, continue these conversations. I mean, absolutely. Like you said, in the 80s, it was uh, kind of a close knit secret secretive um, thing, but you know, here it is in 2020 almost. And, and we couldn't have, we we're so far from that, you know, with the internet, yes. you know, knowledge is key. And that's the key to, um, everything, you know, to growing. And year, wow. years ago, I never thought that would happen. I'm so happy that's happening. I mean, the yeah. NTCA, the, the natural stone Institute, all those organizations are out there educating as well as individuals. I mean, many of the people you and I have interviewed, yeah. I mean, they're very happy to share their knowledge. And I think yeah. that's what we're both here to do. Well, unfortunately, these failures, you know, they hurt us all. So let's talk a little bit more about, about that as your sure. business. What does that look like day to day? I mean, are you working, you know, full time? Are you flying around the country? Do you have a, a lab? Tell us a little it, bit about that. It, it varies. Uh, you know, people say that all the time when they, when they look at my fees, they go, wow, you're, you know, you should be driving a, a, a Bentley right now with the money you're making. But, you know, they don't realize, and this is any consulting business, not just my business, but anybody doing the consulting work, it's not, it's a full-time job, but it's not necessarily full-time work. Okay. <laughs> and uh, let me explain that a little bit more. I mean, there'll be times where I'll get a call, say in Miami yeah. and there's, there's an inspection down there. Well, that's an entire day for me. That's a three hour drive. It would be like you going to maybe San Diego, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a long drive. Uh, you know, you, you do the inspection, the inspection may take you an hour, then you drive back. There's a day killed. But that doesn't stop there. Now you got to go back and you've got to write the report, which can take some time. Uh, you may have to do some research. You may have to order lab tests. I don't have a lab. I use independent independent labs. Okay. Uh, so it comes in waves. I mean, there'll be times where I'm never home and there'll be weeks at a time where I'm home. And yeah. that allows me to play catch up. So uh, it's kind of like what my day in a life is. I get calls constantly. I answer emails constantly. So even when I don't have an inspection, I'm on the computer answering calls, prepping for the radio show, uh, things of that nature. Yeah. What, what is, uh, how many, how many folks are doing what you're doing in the, in the United States? There's not a, there's not a lot of us out there. Um, you know, I could probably name on, on maybe one and a half hands, <laughs> how many people are actually doing this on a full-time basis. Right. Uh, you know, so a lot of the guys are out in California, believe it or not. Uh, you know, my buddies like Greg Mowat, Don Halverson, I'm sure you know, know those guys. Uh, they do the work. And uh, a lot of, you know, what's interesting, if I could tell you an interesting story about what we do in the tile industry, 
and and how people sometimes are are, are afraid to approach uh, the consulting aspect or the inspection aspect is that uh, there are a lot of so-called and I'm trying to say this nicely professionals out there that think they know about stone and tile yeah i.e. a lot of engineering firms that are out there that I compete against and quite honestly they don't know jack shit about we what we know <laughs> I mean, you know, which is, which is interesting. So uh, I always win, win against them. But uh, I, always, okay. I, I always tell guys out there, anybody thinking of going into this business is don't be afraid of the law. Don't be afraid of attorneys because guess what? They know the law. You know your work. Yeah. You know tile. You know stone. You know installation, fabrication, restoration, whatever your expertise is. You know more than they do. And that's, that's what you're that's what you do as an expert. You, you know, my, my outlook on an expert or what I think an expert does is they become a teacher. They mm-hmm. teach people, you know, what the issue is. And, and that's the beauty of consulting. I don't have to go in and say, guess what? You, you, you screwed up this installation, Mr. Installer. Right. That's not my job. My job is to tell you what went wrong. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. I didn't see you do the installation. So I can't tell what went on. And all kinds of things can go on. Yeah. You know, as you know, so are you in court often? Uh, again, it's up and down there. Okay. There'll be months. I'm a, I, I do. I do a lot of depositions because most court cases don't go to court. You know, I could probably I, I would say on average, I, I may end up in two or three court cases where I actually go to court a year. Yeah. The rest of the time, it's all depositions. And after the deposition, they usually settle. OK. You know, after the deposition, or work something out. So. Okay. But it, it's, it's really fun. I mean, yeah. I've been doing this now for over 30 years and it's to this day, it's still fun. Oh, that's good. That's really good. You know, I can tell you, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I got an interesting story. I, I think your, your uh, listeners will like, and that is, you know, going back to, Oh, a lawyer called me. I'm afraid I got to go do a deposition. I don't know how to do a deposition. And I remember the first deposition I ever did was years ago. And these, um, attorneys called me and they said well, what had happened just real briefly is a slab fell on a worker yeah. and the worker got hurt and they wanted me to come in and know how do you handle slabs you know safely and uh, I got called into this deposition and I always say that if I would known what I know today then what it was like my first deposition was like well you know what you're going to go into this room with these three attorneys and they're going to question you for 8 hours. That's how long yeah. my first deposition was it was an entire day. Wow. Or I could take uh Luke and Bill and let them go out back and beat you up. <laughs> Which one would you have taken? And I said, I'll go with Luke and Bill cuz yeah. I'll feel the same but that only lasted a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but once you and it goes back to what I said, once you understand that you know more than the attorneys the attorneys do it's a piece of cake it actually becomes fun at that point yeah how, how do you establish your credibility is it just a, a a practice of time well it's like any business you know reputation obviously you yeah. know do you know in the consulting field you have to be careful not to become what they call a hired gun yeah. you know, i'm going to hire you tell me what i want to hear and there's been jobs i've turned down because you know hey i, I can't help you there you know, for whatever, whatever reason. Uh, but the reputation obviously helps getting the word out. It takes time to build a consulting business. Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, 
writing articles. I mean, I'm sure you've seen my articles and I, I do the Stone Detective and the Slippery Rock Gazette every month. Uh, I've written for Stone World Magazine, all, all the journals. So, you know, just getting out there. And today, social media is key. Sure. You know, most of my marketing today is social media. And that's both for the Stone Show and the, um, uh, the consulting business as well. Yeah. It's, it's almost 100% other than reputation and people seeing my articles, almost 100% social media. It's, it's big today. Yeah, yeah. So years ago, I, I looked into, you know, this, this business and I quickly decided it wasn't for me. I mean, I was very young, <laughs> wet behind the ears still. <laughs> but, um, and I, I think it's one of those things. I mean, you really have to be, you know, in this industry for a number of years. Yep. Um, what's, what's one piece of advice, you know, and, and then let's, let's mention that the one, the annual training seminar you give, but what's one piece of advice you would give somebody who thinks maybe they're at the stage in their life where they're curious to get into this business, would you give them? Education. Education. Yeah. Educate yourself. I mean, whether that education is sitting on a computer and going to Google and looking at YouTube videos, it's still education. Attend wow. seminars, uh, join the associations, uh, you know, and, and like like we said a minute ago, uh, the information is out there. I mean, yeah. you can call and, and that's what's great about social media is that now you can talk to someone. I'm in Florida. I could talk to someone in California. You're not afraid to share your secrets. Because yeah. I'm I'm not in direct competition with sure. you, so it's yeah. it's a good thing. So, I I think that is the key. I had a friend of mine many years ago said, you know, education is the sell. Yeah, you know, and it, it applies to your customer as well. Educate your customer. Uh, customer is going to buy, uh, hire you based on what you know or what you perceive to know. I guess you yeah. could say. So it's it's uh, no secret. So I would say the key would be education. Okay. Now, tell us real quick before I forget, I don't want to, um, in this podcast here, I want to jump back in time a little bit and talk sure. about your, when you were doing more work with the tile and installation sure. and restoration. Absolutely. Uh, but first, before we forget, put a plug in for, for the annual seminar that you have in, in location and date. Sure. Every year I do a stone inspection and troubleshooting seminar, and I do it in Las Vegas. It's okay. along the... What do they call that show now? It used to be called Stone Expo. I don't surfaces. I think international surfaces event. Surface, yeah, event now. So I do it at the same time as that. It's a week long seminar. Okay. It's a it's a certification seminar. So there's a test test at the end, and we basically talk about failures in stone and tile installations, yeah. and that not only includes flooring, it includes countertops, it includes uh, some exterior work as well. So basically, anywhere you find dimension stone, okay. uh, it's a failure. What's ironic about the seminar, what I find interesting anyway about the seminar is that I've been doing it now for probably 10 plus years. I do one or two a year. That's it. Uh, it's very small class, eight to 10 people max. Okay. Uh, very few of the people actually become inspectors. Okay. They're there because they want to learn more. They, they may be an installer. They want to know, you know, why am I having this failure? Mm -hmm. uh, they may be a restoration contractor, uh, you know, a a fabricator. So it's, yeah. it's open for anybody. That's this really class, cool. this class coming up in January is full. <laughs> I have yeah. filled it up, but I plan on doing another one probably sometime mid year, June or July. And I would just say, keep an eye on my website to see when those dates will be announced. Okay, great. Well, I've always said the riches are in the niches and this is definitely a niche. I mean, there's yes. less than 12 people, you know, kind of practicing this full time in the state. Yep. So this is a cool niche. Um, yes. Now, Fred, let's jump back in time to when you had a lot on your plate. I mean, it sounds like you had a restoration company. 
uh, installation company, and then you were kind of starting to dabble into uh, what you're doing today, the forensics. Yes, right. How do you handle so much at once? What systems and processes do you remember having in place to help you with that workload? Well, it, it does get overwhelming. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It was a learning curve for, for me as well. But what I learned to do is to compartmentalize everything, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, even though they were under the same umbrella to kind of look at them separately. And yeah. then having, you know, I know a lot of guys out there are one, two man operations, but having key people, you know, and obviously I was the guy that did the consulting and the inspection works, but I brought key people in to, to run my other, other portions of the business. And quite honestly, that that's a tough nut to crack sometimes. I mean, you got to go through some some people to find the right the right individual. Yeah. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have family involved, well, I mean, there's some issues with that as well. Sure. Uh, but I mean, there are a lot of successful family operations. Proceed with so. caution, right? <laughs> exactly. Proceed with caution. One mistake I did make, and uh, I don't want to harp on it, is that, and one thing I want to tell anybody out there is to be very careful with partners. Mm. Uh, you know, you might have a, a best buddy you went to high school with, and this guy would make a great partner. And all of a sudden you get into business with that person and there's a whole nother side of that person that comes out. So I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm yeah. saying approach it with a lot of caution yeah. and, and put everything right up front. And, and I think the best way to handle that would be, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Fill those weaknesses and keep those strengths and, and vice versa. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough nut to crack right there. I mean, yeah. a partnership can be such a powerful thing. I mean, we could list some companies that, you know, are better because of partners. Right. But it's at the same time, it's one of the most cautionary tales out there for businesses. Um, exactly. So that's an well, and, and it's like hiring employees. I, I still get asked to this day, you know, what do you look for an employee? Yeah. And they're surprised at my answer. And my answer is, I want to hire, especially in the trades. And what I mean, and the, not only the tile and stone trades, but any trade. Right. Uh, if, if you're hiring a new employee, look for someone with no experience in that field. Okay. And they go, well, that's stupid. I go, no, it's not. Because my, at least from my experience, my experience has been when I hired someone that came from another company or had that experience, I had to undo all their bad habits. Yeah. So what I would do is I would ask them, and of course, today we got to be careful what we ask people uh, in, in an interview, but one of the things I used to ask is, uh, what did your father do for a living? Mm-hmm. You know, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you know, I grew up with a handy dad. So I, you know, I, I could put a, 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 an angle grinder in someone's hand and tell you in two seconds whether they have mechanical skills or sure. not. Sure. So if their dad was a carpenter, an electrician, or, or some type of construction trades, that was one key for that person to be a perfect employee to train because they pick up on it yeah. really, 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 really quick. So uh, I don't know, forget why I was telling you that story. But <laughs> well, that, no, I, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought up employees. You know, that's one of the, one of the toughest things uh, today, it seems like. I, I mean, probably forever, right? But yeah. <laughs> Today, I mean, we continue to have this discussion over and over again in my Facebook group and when I talk to other contractors and I'm excited. I've I've recently gotten back from Total Solutions Plus and, you know, I I learned, you know, some of my heroes or some of my, the people I look up to and admire in this industry, I kind of had an insight. They shared what they're doing in in their companies to attract employees. And like you said, a lot of them start from the ground up right Right. out of high school or, or whatever the case might be. And it, it's interesting because uh, I've preached before that one of the quickest ways to 
kind of scale is to find somebody who knows what they're doing, a seasoned, you know, vet. And so because that was my experience since then, I've kind of had to think about that because I, I kind of realized I got lucky in a lot of ways with, with the guy I found, um, my, my, my employee. And then uh, in a lot of ways, I, I think back and I realize, you know what, he did have habits that I couldn't change a few habits that I, you know, for the the whole time we worked together, I I just changed and I just had to accept them. So in other words, if you really want to build a company culture and you really want to instill, you know, your ways, start young. I, I think that's solid advice. And another another important thing to look at, too, is that if you hire someone, and I, I don't want to sound negative on this, but if you hire someone that's, say, been doing it for 10 years, they're at a level of, here I go again, same thing every day in, day out, yeah. where a new person is learning a new skill. There's yeah. an energy there that you won't find in an experienced person. Interesting. May, yeah. you, may, you, you may have to put in more time and training that person, but you'll end up having that person do it your way. Yeah. And they're excited to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. How do you keep good people when you find them? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I, I've I've been lucky, and I, and I was fortunate enough in my my company for the most part to to find good people. And I thought the simplest way to keep people is with two words: thank you. Mm. And it's unbelievable because what I what I found is that if you Give them bonuses all the time, which I'm not saying don't do that. You have to be careful with it. They now expect bonuses. Right. And it's the same with customers. I mean, you know, if you throw something in, especially with commercial work, we used to throw things in all the time and then something would go wrong with that free thing and they would forget it was added in and now they're complaining about it. So you have to be careful with with bonuses. But I think just being appreciated. And, and and thanking them on a constant. I, I made a point that every single day when my crew came back, hey guys, great job, thank you. You know, uh, I'm not saying again. I'm not. I'm not trying to say don't give bonuses. Bonuses are a good thing. We all like bonuses. We yeah. all like extra money. But be careful with it. But I think that is the the main key to keeping a, a, a keeping your employees is to be appreciative of those employees. Without them, yeah. you'd be back to a, being a one man operation and. You'd be yeah. in a consulting business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. you know, that's if you want to grow. That's really- no, it's a good point. You know, express appreciation. It's it's a powerful. Um, you know, everybody needs it in our lives. Yeah. You know, from from our personal relationships and work as well. And I, I like the fact that you brought up. You know, don't just you know give out bonuses and expect people to stick around. A lot of people, you know, are are if a lot of employees are content. Um, I mean, sure, they would like in- increases in their pay, right? But they might be looking for something other than money. They might be looking for appreciation. Yep. They might be looking for maybe they need to clock out two hours early on Wednesdays so that they can go to their kids' baseball game. And if you can make that happen, then they'd be the you know loyal. That would that would make their their years ahead so much more enjoyable because now they're right. more active with their personal family. I mean, right. it might be something really personal like that. So just conversation, appreciation, say, hey, I really appreciate all your hard work. Do you need anything from me? You know, things like that. I, I like that you brought that up, Fred. Thank you. Yeah, keeping it keeping employee doesn't cost you money. Okay. If you yeah. do, if you do it if you do it right. Yeah, it costs a lot of money to keep um, retraining. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what's one piece of, you know, um, lesson, one important lesson that you've had to learn the hard way over your years? How much time we have? (laughs) You want, you want one. 
Yeah, I, I, I gave this some thought, and I, I actually brought out brought up some of them already. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that if I had to narrow it down to one thing or one piece of advice or lesson that I would learn over time, and again, it's it's very simple. Go with your gut. Yeah. You know, go with your gut and everything. Go with your gut with employees. Go with your gut with customers. Um, I can tell you many stories, and I'm sure you you can too, and everybody else can out there about certain gut reactions you had with with uh, a yeah. customer, for example, and you ended up taking that job and ended up being a nightmare. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you're, I don't know what it is, what the whether it's astrology, whether it's voodoo, or or what it is, but I, I, I every time I've ever gone against my gut in business it's been wrong. And every time I've gone with my gut, it's been right. So if it feels right, do it, I guess would be the, be my motto. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a solid, solid piece of advice. We do not want every customer. No. No. And I know that gets difficult sometimes with, uh, you know, when you're desperate, when you're looking for work, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, an interesting story, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of guys, they get to the point in their career or, or their business, I should say, where, you know, they, they get a, and how do I say this nicely? They get, I can't do that job. It's too small. Yeah. You know, I ain't going to bother with it. You know, a, a, a small foyer, forget it. You know, I, I need to do a, an entire house or, or an entire lobby. And let me tell you a story about how I ended up finding out that was wrong. Yeah. Many years ago, uh, in the restoration aspect of the business, I got a call from a lady that was an hour outside of where my office was. And she called and she said, uh, you know, we have this brand new floor. Uh, it has a grout film on it. It needs to be, you know, repolished. Can you come down and take a look at it? And I said, sure, fine. She goes, but you got to come on Saturday when my husband is here. I said, fine. So I go an hour away on Saturday. I look at her floor. It just has, you know, the guy didn't clean up the grout. I said, a quick polish you know, we, we could take care of it. So she goes, well, you know, uh, my husband said he wants the floor crystallized and I'm not going to get into that, but for this story. Okay. So he had uh, done some research on a, on a process. Uh, well, he, he did, he did a lot of research on this yeah. process. And I said, well, I don't recommend doing it. Here's an article on it, blah, blah, blah. She goes, oh, well, can you discuss this with my husband? And I said, sure. He's out playing golf. Can you come back at three o'clock? This is nine o'clock in the morning. So I'm an hour away from my office. So I either got to go all the way back to my office, come back at three o'clock. And this is a job at the time was maybe $500. Yeah. Okay. Very small job. So I bit my tongues. Okay. I'll come back. So I found something to do. came back at three o'clock. He keeps me there for two hours talking about all the technicalities. I mean, this guy really knows what he's talking about. He's done his research. So if they finally said, okay, we want you to come back and do the work. But, and this is another problem you guys have in business. We want you there. We could talk about that right. if you want. Hey, yeah, I'd we, love to. We want you there. Yeah. I said, okay, fine. Can we set it up for next Saturday? Now, at the time, we were working Monday through Fridays, not weekends. So I go down myself on Saturday. I do the job. She's thrilled to death. She loves it. I hand her the invoice. I hand her care instructions. She goes, well, I'm sure my husband will want to talk to you about this. Can you come back at three o'clock? He's out playing golf. So again, yeah. <laughs> I got to find something to do for a few hours, come kidding? back and talk. And in the meantime, I'm thinking in my head, if this, these people ever call me back, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm busy for the next year. Sorry, yeah. I can't come to you. So bit my tongue. He comes back, blah, 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 blah. Get my check. I'm out of there. Make a mental note. 
Don't ever call this lady again. Yeah. Monday, Monday morning. This was Saturday. Monday morning. I'm sitting at my desk, getting the guys ready to go out, and the phone rings. Now I got to tell you a quick, quick thing before this. Before I did this job, I had been trying to get into Disney as one of their main contractors for years. Couldn't get nowhere. Really? I get a call from Disney on that Monday. And they said, we want to have a meeting with you about one of our hotels. Can you be there tomorrow at nine? I said, no, sorry, I'm a little busy. No, of course, I dropped everything and I'm off to Disney the next morning. I walk into this room and it's a big, huge conference table with six suits sitting on it. And at the head of the table, guess who's at the head of the table? (laughs) Your buddy, your golf buddy. Vice president of Disney. Since that day, I had all of Disney's work. Wow. So the, uh, now the lesson there is obvious. So the lesson is don't always overlook those small jobs because they sure. could lead to bigger things. Those executives that, you know, the GM guy, the Disney guy, the Coca-Cola guy, wh- whoever, they live somewhere, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you may be called to do a small small job for them and yeah. it could turn into something really, really big. So Incredible. I, I, that story took a turn I did not see yeah. coming. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. It's a great story. That's cool. Yeah, I've, I've known guys in, in Los Angeles who they were just doing grout repair in, in Hollywood studios. And from there, they they've worked in everybody famous, yep. all the famous people's homes. Yeah, you know, exactly. Similar stuff, you know. You mentioned, uh, let's see, that story took me by surprise. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you mentioned, how do we handle because this trade is is so artistic and oftentimes we'll spend years building our name building our our business based on i luke miller i'm going to do the work and we get to a point where you know we grow we grow to the point where now it's not me but it's my apprentices doing the work right and they're qualified because i've trained them how do we get past that customer's objection is it going to be you luke doing the work what what do you have on that yeah, and that that's one thing I struggled with uh, in the very beginning because it was like, well, you know, you sold yourself, you're selling your company and your services, but you're really selling, you yeah. know, who you are. They are they're confident with you, they're relaxed with you. And at, let me tell you the progression of how how I handled that. The the first thing I did when I I couldn't be there anymore is I said, well, uh, what I'll do is I'll show up with my crew, I'll make sure they get started, and then I've got I've got other customers to get to, and I'll come back and check up at the very end. That's one way to handle it. But let's say you're so busy, you can't even handle that. Right. I would, you know, you could uh, either bring your, the, the, your head supervisor is going to be in that job with you. Yeah. You know, to that, which is kind of difficult to do or be up front with a customer. You know, yeah. I, I'm very busy. Uh, I wish I could be there, but you know, I can't be there. I might be able to stop by. It's a big job, you know, every now and then. And, uh, I mean, that's just the facts. I mean, yeah. if, what else can you do? If they demand you be there, well, you have to make a decision. Yeah. You know, is that job worth you being there or should you move on to the next job? And that's tough to do when you're in business. You don't want to turn away work. Well, you made it tougher after that story. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you should ask him, what do you do for a living? <laughs> no, you can't. But can't. in all reality, well, nowadays you could research, you know, probably within 15 minutes and figure you out. You know, it's, it's funny. I've done that. I, I've gone on inspections. Just just last week, I was at a $40 million home. 
Yeah. And I had, I didn't meet with the owner, but I knew the owner's name and I didn't recognize the name. So what do you do? You Google the name. Yeah. Oh, so that's what he does. So do the same thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, why not? You know, the tools are all there now and they're easily accessible. So why not use it to, to do some research who who you're going to be getting in business with, you know, for a week. That's right. Yeah. A couple more questions for you. You know, Another common subject, another problem is coming up with prices. We get asked this all the time, you know, should I charge square foot? Should I charge, you know, how, how much for a shower? How much for this backsplash? How did you come up with your prices? What advice do you have for my listeners? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's funny you should talk about price. I had someone tell me when I was first starting in consulting business, and this applies for any, any business, is yeah. that, you know, uh, your prices, well, how, how do I say this? Let me take the consult. What I did with the consulting arm, I have never, ever, except maybe one time, had someone tell me I charge too much. Because okay. here's the way you want to look at pricing: if you go into a car dealer and you're going to buy a brand new Mercedes Benz, you don't expect to buy that brand new Mercedes Benz for twenty thousand dollars, do you? Right. You're going to pay a lot more money for that. Yeah. So people is the psychology people perceive. And I'm not saying price yourself out of the market by any means. People perceive a higher price as, as being better quality and item, if, if you will. So, you know, one of the things I used to, when, when business really started going and competition started coming, and I'm having guys coming in at half my price, yeah. especially in the Florida market. The Florida market, especially South Florida, is horrible. I mean, they're, the, the, the work that, I mean, they're fabricating countertops down there for 10 bucks a square foot. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's an, an installing tile for 50 cents to a dollar. That's you crazy. know, I mean, you can't compete with that. So you have to sell your customer on the quality. You're getting the best. You may be certified. Use that. You know, I'm certified. Um, I've been in business for so long. And I would be willing to bet if you up your prices, that you'll actually, you'll get not only more work, but quality work. And that's what I found. Yeah. You know, I, I found that, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, I had a telephone call from a lady that had this historic home and her email started out. I wish I could pull it up and read it to you. It was something out. I clearly can't afford, and it was something of that, that nature. And I'm looking at this house. It's an 11,000 square foot home. Wow. You know, I really can't afford you to come in and, and inspect this poor installation, blah, 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 blah. And I, I sent her an email with a couple of questions, you know, and one of the questions were, how much did you pay for this installation? It was $200,000 job. Wow. $200,000 job. And so she started, the next sentence was, you know, I found you, I know your reputation, you know, you're the best there is, blah, 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 all the pats on the back, so to speak. Yeah. And I'm like, I wonder what this lady is expecting me to charge her. So I gave her my normal price. She goes, oh, and her exact email words were, Merry Christmas to me, meaning herself. Yeah. I can afford that. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and it's, you know, and I gave her, I, I didn't. I, sure. I don't charge based on, you know, I, I don't look at your financials and say, well, sure. you make more money than this guy does. So I'm going to charge you more. I charge the same regardless. Yeah. And I think, you know, anybody in, in the contracted business should be looking at it that way, whether they're Bill Gates or whether they're average Joe, your pricing schedule should be the same. With that said, to get back to your question, I did not like square foot pricing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I don't like square foot pricing is, you know, as well as I do, if you go in to do a simple, let, let's talk an installation that's a, uh, you know, hundred foot by hundred foot and it's a, it's a ballroom. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly simple. Right. Yeah. But now you go in and you do that. Let's say it's a 5,000 square foot job. Now you go to a 5,000 square foot home. Yeah. It's definitely going to take you a lot longer. How can you possibly compare that square footage basis? You yeah. can't. Yeah. You know, so what I used to tell people, and this this applies to installation, it applies to restoration, and it, supply, and it applies to fabrication. Mm-hmm. Go in and price your job based on, you know, your standard stuff, your material cost, uh, how long it's going to take you to do it, and, and your profit margin. This is my price. Yeah. If they insist on a square foot price because they're shopping, back it in. Yeah. You know, this job may be $5 a square foot for the same square footage and the next job might be $12 a square foot for the same. So, you know, don't back yourself into that square foot, uh, square foot uh, failure, if you will, because it can bite you because, well, you know what we decided we're going to take those bathrooms out of there and that's another thousand square foot. So now you can subtract that square foot price out of there. That doesn't work. That doesn't always work as you know. Yeah. So, so a couple, couple valuable lessons, you know, you, you touched on differentiate, differentiate yourself from the com, com, competition, you know, uh, express, you know, your, uh, your history, you know, your professional appearance. Right. Um, one thing I used was contracts, contracts yep. set me apart from almost every contractor in my area oh, for some absolute, reason. Absolutely. So I encourage all my, all my audience to use a contract, um, and, and, and have it part of your sales presentation. And that's when I really started it started clicking in my mind was it became part of my sales consultation. I would say, this is the contract we're going to, we're going to sign, you know, and then this is why to protect you and, and me, you know, but right. mostly you. So I, I really found that was a good sales, sales technique. Yeah. Absolutely. What, uh, what business book recommendations do you have, Fred? Well, um, there, there's actually three books that, that I really have found helpful over the years. They're, they're kind of older books, okay. but they apply today. Uh, the first one is called, actually, there's two in this series. It's called E-Myth. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of that book or oh, not. I love E-Myth, yeah. And the E-Myth Revisited. Mm-hmm. Excellent, especially for the guy that's out there that is working for somebody and wants to get into their own business. You know, yeah. maybe they're corporate. Now, you know, I want to get into contracting with those are two, two great books. Yeah. Second book I like is called In Search of Excellence. Okay. And that's by, actually, I wrote the author down because I can never remember the, uh, the author's name is by Tom Peters. And it, it's pretty much a book on uh, how a lot of these large companies like Disney, 3M, uh, took failures and made them into successes. Okay. On the corporate level, but can also apply to very small businesses as well. And the third book I absolutely love, it's not necessarily a business book but it will definitely apply to business. And they actually made a movie out of this book as well. It's called The Secret. The Secret. The Secret. Okay. And without getting into it, it's, uh, you go on YouTube, I think you can even find the full, full length video, but it's, uh, it's basically, uh, it's this, I'll tell you what the secret is and you can read the book and see why it's called the power of attraction. Okay. Uh, you know, attracting success. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard motivational speakers say all the time that if you fail, you've attracted that failure. Yeah. And that's what this book is all about. So it's a great book for, for that. So it's a short book. It's an easy read. And if you don't want to read, look at the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look for, I like short books. I look forward yes. to 
to checking that one out. I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, the power of attraction and, yes. you know, thought patterns and stuff. Yes. Positive right. energy. For Great sure. book. Well, Fred, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this interview. Uh, where can people find you? I know you're on Facebook. Where else are you at? Uh, you can check out my website, which is stoneforensics.com. Okay. Uh, my consulting service, as well as the training, is on there. There's a link to the radio show. Okay. Uh, the radio show is blog, blog, talk, radio, backslash, dr, Fred, dr, F-R-E-D. Uh, but all the links are on stoneforensics.com. Okay. Uh, they can send me an email if they like with any questions. Uh, email is fhuston, that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Okay. All right. And I'll be sure to put those links in the show notes, friends. So you'll be able to easily find them on YouTube as well as uh, in whatever podcast, you know, app you're listening to. Right. Find those links. So, and you're on all the same apps. I I think I am, Fred. I am. I am. Are you on YouTube? Yes, I am. Actually. Oh, sorry. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I started a couple months ago, a a video blog as well. They're very short video blogs. So uh, I've got like 16 of them so far. So you can check that out and uh, I will. You, yeah. know, you know what the links are on YouTube? They're this long. So, yeah. uh, you know, just go and search the Stone and Tile show and you'll find it. Okay. And then that's something separate than your podcast then? Yes. It's something okay. to- totally different. Very cool. Very cool. All right, Fred. Well, I, I truly appreciate your time. Always fun. I love it. Thank you for sharing. All right. Take care, Luke.